You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It's great to be with you. Happy first week of Advent. Some of you may have wondered before, what do all of those candles on the Advent wreath stand for? Sometimes we attempt to have this tradition of the Advent wreath even in our home, and then maybe a week or two into Advent, we realize we forgot to light a candle for a week. Uh, But let's actually take up a better understanding of what those candles stand for, what we're looking at in terms of the Advent season. With me today, I have a very special guest and actually a special announcement that Father Rob Robert Spitzer has agreed to join us regularly here on Trending. Righto, and uh, what an honor it is, Timory. You uh, reach so many good people, and I, I'm just uh, happy to be able to do this with you. It's absolutely a joy to have you. For those who don't know Father Robert Spitzer, he's someone that I grew up with as an incredible form of education, better understanding my faith, uh, moral theology, and so much more in the culture. He is currently the president of the Magis Center of Reason and Faith, and he's also the president of the Spitzer Center. You can find out more about them at spitzercenter.org. He's the author of multiple books that we could discuss in addition to in the past being the president of Gonzaga University. I could go down the list with your radio work and EWTN. Thanks for being with me, Father. Oh, great to be with you, Timmy. So when I was thinking about this theme, the first week of Advent, the first candle stands for hope. And I found that this is such a telling topic for our current culture. We live in a time in many ways of hopelessness. Uh, This generation of, as they identify the nuns, and I'm not talking about the ones with the habits, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, millennials who are Uh, saying they don't identify with any religion whatsoever. What are your initial thoughts in response to this and the theme of hope? Well, you can certainly see the consequences of the loss of God and the loss of the hope that comes from God alone. Uh, Just uh, in our last uh, um, uh, Center for Disease Control survey, that was uh, 2018, um, it, they determined that there is a 51% increase in suicides among millennials and Gen Zs in just 15 years. Let me repeat that. 51% increase in suicides in 15 years among our younger generation. The other thing that came out of Columbia University in another poll is a 46% rise in the depression rate of the same generation, right, millennials, Gen Zs, 46% increase in the same 15, uh, 15 years in the depression rate. Well, that's got to come from something. And, and I think it comes from two major things. The first and foremost is the loss of God is a loss of hope. And I'll cite another psychological study in just a moment. But also, uh, it's, it's a heightened increase in ego comparative identity. I hate to say this, but that comes from social media. It mm-hmm. comes from being your own star on whatever <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. And, and all of a sudden, there's a, a kind of a, a strange form of narcissism that, that has just skyrocketed. And this ego comparative identity, who's achieving more, who's achieving less, et cetera, that's coming about. And so when you combine the effects of these two 
things. What I call a, a, a huge increase in level two, ego comparative identity, and a huge decrease in level four, which is the you know the loss of God, it, it, the, the identity that's grounded in faith, particularly faith in Jesus Christ. When we see these two things coinciding, little wonder we have a 51% increase in suicides and a 46% increase in depression. And so uh, uh, these are all exacerbated by traditional media and cable, et cetera, you know, 13 reasons why, et cetera, <laughs> that, that, that happen. And so uh, our kids are living in a, a real cultural malaise. That is Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Father Spitzer, when my husband and siblings get together, they usually tease me because they say, <laughs> I think that cell phones and social media are of the devil. Uh, it's a joke that they make because sometimes I harass them a little bit, a little too much about social media. Um, but I find that the reason I sometimes say these things is because of these exact statistics. And I'll kind yeah. of start smashing them with statistics and yeah. they'll go, oh, wow. I yeah. didn't realize that all of this was in many ways tied to social media use and this attitude of comparison. But it's mm -hmm. heartbreaking because it's leading to this culture of despair. We talk about hope mm -hmm. and we have lo lost sight of hope because we're despairing, even if it's in this constant distraction of social media or maybe mm -hmm. even in this uh, two perspectives. One is this workaholism mm -hmm. in social media and in the workforce, mm -hmm. but then also a sense of slothfulness and mm -hmm. laziness in the culture. Sure. Yeah, and the slothfulness, you know, the original meaning of that term was acedia, right. which means like a, a religious sloth, a, a non-practicing. So a, a lot of kids say, well, I, I have, you know, a spiritual life, but a spiritual life without a community, a spiritual life without being accountable to somebody outside of yourself, a spiritual life that doesn't have the reinforcement of other people, the reinforcement of a church, the guidance of a church, the guidance, especially, you know, when, when we live in a world just filled with cultural confusions that have been intentionally designed to distract you from, you know, your, your relationship with the Lord. It, it, it's amazing what our kids have to deal with. And so when you, you, you combine all of these effects together, that slothfulness, that inability to practice that non-desire to just go to church on Sunday or even find a church that they like which will support their faith or even to do the necessary reading, etc., to get the evidence for God, the soul, and Jesus, that really has caused the loss of God and that infuses itself into ego-comparative identity. It's a real travesty. Father Spitzer, I'd love to hear your perspective on how not only are we seeing an increase in suicide in the culture overall, but especially mm -hmm. among men. And I think this whole idea of acedia, this slothfulness with regard mm -hmm. to religion, comes from, in many ways, this depression among men, this despair, and mm -hmm. this lack of religion. At the same time, they're struggling with authority figures while at the same time starving for mentorship from men. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, first, I just want to say one thing. You know, there is a really great new study that's just come out that correlates uh, women who start practicing their religion, um, they get a huge decrease in their depression rate. So in other words, there's an inverse correlation as they grow in their faith and the practice of their faith, women actually come out of their depression rate. And they seem to do that a little bit more naturally than men. Men do need additional mentorship. Uh, we also see with younger men, uh, this would be from uh, the ages of four, uh, 15, excuse me, to the age of 30, 
they actually need a considerable amount of evidence from science for God, the soul, and Jesus. Uh, that's what I do in these seven essential modules on the CredibleCatholic.com site. I try, I mean, it's not addressed to men alone, obviously. It's addressed to everybody. But uh, we're trying to give some evidence to those people, especially the people who are in desperate need. So young men need evidence. They also need mentorship. And they also need a community uh, that, that really values God. And they need to take their minds off of the social media. And frankly, sports is wonderful. I like sports, right? I, uh, you know, and even without my eyes, I still enjoy listening to football games and I can imagine everything. But the point is you can't live for them. And sports will never make a replacement for practicing your faith. Remember, as both men and women uh, you know, decrease in their practice of the faith, going to church, reading some religious books, trying to have a prayer life. As they decrease in their practice of the faith, the depression rate is going to shoot up significantly. I've cited many, many studies from the American Psychiatric Association and from the JAMA Journal uh, of Psychiatry that show very clearly that when religious practice decreases, all of a sudden you get a significant, we're talking about double or more increase in depression, suicides, impulsivity, antisocial aggressivity, and substance abuse and familial tensions. It's, it's again, practice of religion so important. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center. Father Spitzer, we're in Advent. Even if mm-hmm. you're listening and it's not Advent, maybe you're listening on the podcast, we want to focus on hope. So what can we do in this season to grow in our faith, to combat acedia, to combat hopelessness? Maybe there's some resources that you specifically have as well yourself. Oh, yeah. There are three things to make your Advent season a much better uh, season that, that draws you closer to God. The number one thing is the sacrament of reconciliation, right? We've, we've gone through the whole of ordinary time. You know how things can sort of slip out of gear there. That, that it's so important to, to get over to uh, one of your reconciliation services. They're, if they're not in your parish, go to the parish next door. They're literally for the next three weeks going to be many, many reconciliation services. I'm begging you to get to one. The sacrament of reconciliation just decreases the grip of the devil. It gives you absolution. And that absolute, it's right in the name, right? So it's an absolute forgiveness for your sins uh, at, at that juncture, which immediately when you break the grip of the devil, you get absolution from your sins. You, you get this grace to, to move you forward. You're in deeper communion with God. You're ready to receive the hope and the peace and the joy of the Advent season. So that's the first thing that's important. The second thing is once you've gone to that sacrament of reconciliation, notice how that funnel uh, into your heart of grace into your heart just widens. Uh, You're so much more open to accepting because you're already in communion with God. That sin, that darkness, the grip of the devil is not preventing you and pushing you away from it. So once you get to reconciliation, the next thing is you've got to do some intentional extra prayer. Just use some of the special resources we'll talk about in our next episode. Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center is here with me. Coming up, we'll be talking about what exactly is hope? Natural hope, supernatural hope, the theological virtue. We'll be right back with Father Robert Spitzer. 
Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center is here with me. We're talking about the theme of hope. It's the first week of Advent. That's what the first purple candle, I almost said calendar, (laughs) candle of Advent stands for on that Advent wreath. So we're going to be getting into what is hope from a natural and supernatural perspective. But first, Father Spitzer was talking about three things we can do to increase our hope. First, he talked about conviction confession. Second, you were talking about prayer. Prayer. And just uh, first thing with prayer, just set aside a few extra moments to do your intentional prayer in the morning, in the evening, whenever you can get some time away from things with a little bit of silence. Now, use some of the the themes of Advent, the joy, the peace, the hope of Advent. And these come out, for example, the Magnificat, which is a series. They have a special companion volume just on the Advent season. They have wonderful reflections in there for Advent, as well as all the readings for the masses. Uh, It's really an excellent volume. Uh, EWTN, for example, also has special resources like Advent videos. Uh, Father Rocky on Relevant Radio uh, has his one-minute reflections on on Relevant Radio. You can just get right off the app. There's a whole variety of different things to bring those themes into your prayer and into your Advent season. You, You watch the themes of hope and peace and joy. They really will get to you. Uh, uh, more deeply and deep in your prayer. The third thing is just let the joy of the season flow through you as you're setting up your crash set, as you're setting up uh, your Christmas trees. R- remember that those lights reflect the light of Christ coming into the world. They're not just beautiful lights. But the crash set represents the reality of the innocence, the beauty, the joy, the goodness, the simplicity, the depth, the salvation that comes to us through Christ Jesus coming into our lives. That's the real hope, the real joy of the Advent season. I want to come back to prayer, your second theme Mm -hmm. uh, to focus on this Advent. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned intentional prayer. And I want to touch on that briefly because Mm -hmm. I find that in the modern culture, we struggle to be intentional, whether it's Mm -hmm. being intentional with the time we spend with friends and family, being intentional with the topic of work that we're focused on, mm-hmm. or being intentional in our prayer. Mm-hmm. What would you say, um, you know, besides really setting aside the time uh, to pray, what can help us in the moment to be more intentional? Yeah, I would say, first of all, um, I hate to say this, but you, you have to detach a little bit from social media. And I, I know how you know, you almost want to answer a text immediately when it comes in. It just seems so urgent. But you know, there are these little options for driving, for example. It gives you a standard reply when you're driving, and, and it just says, Hi, I'm driving right now. Can't answer your text. We'll respond to it when I uh, get to my destination. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You can just put a few standard replies in there so that it doesn't have to be for driving. It could be for anything. You know, I'm, I'm working on a project right now. I'm trying to do something, you know, like pray right, right now. And just bing, you know, <laughs> just have an auto response to get a little bit more detached without you having to get so 
you know, uh, absorbed in it. I remember in college, I would get so flustered as I was trying to study and my phone's buzzing yeah. and I'm thinking about other people I want to contact mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about the next social mm-hmm. event and all these things are flooding in my mind. I would become so overwhelmed. Yeah. So for me, I would turn my phone off and I would yeah. lock it in a drawer <laughs> on the other side of the room or in the other room. <laughs> and it might sound extreme, but even now I still have to turn my phone off and put yeah. it in a drawer sometimes mm-hmm. just to stay focused. Yeah. And turning off the phone is so important. And and an auto response can work even when your phone is off, by the way. So, uh, you know, it, uh, it just clicks out. But the, the main thing is, is, is when that phone's off, you're not going to hear the ping of the text coming in or get a glance of it coming in. And I think it's a really great strategy, Timory. I think so many people get so distracted. I mean, we're all turning into, uh, you know, uh, almost hyperactive and, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you know. I don't want to call it, you know, a, you know, a, a clinical uh, term, but I mean, it, we're, we're almost like hyperactive and we're very distracted, and and so we we kind of got that that point where we can't concentrate or focus anymore, particularly on something that's initially non-stimulating but can be very stimulating, like the peace and the joy and communion of prayer. That's Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Timory. In just a second, we're going to come to that definition of what actually is hope, rather than just kind of thinking of it as an abstract definition. But Father Robert Spitzer, again, focused on those three things, reconciliation, prayer, and then you mentioned the joy of this season, Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas season has now started the day after Halloween, yeah. if not sooner. And yeah. I know some people struggle because they feel like they jump right to Christmas. They're having a hard time maybe getting the benefit of mm-hmm. Advent. But I've really taken the mindset that we should be able to embrace this joy and this light, even of lighting up our house and you know, we decorated yeah. our house, mm-hmm. while still focusing on the light symbolizes that waiting for Christ to come. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, you know, I, I think um, as you're kind of doing the decorating, all you have to do is give religious significance uh, to what you're doing. I mean, to not have a crash set, to me, would be almost criminal to the season, you know, having snowmen, having this and that, and not having a crash set, uh, you know, that, that just is so perfect. I used to, when I was a little kid, just look at that crash set. I just felt right at home with the Holy Family and the cows and the donkeys and the angels, you know, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. It, it was wonderful, and, and I get absorbed into it. And, and just having that chance even to just go to church, uh, you know, an extra time during the Advent season. Uh, you know, I was an altar server so that my mom actually had to take us in the morning, and she wanted to do it, and it was a great excuse because she got us to church, and that reconnected me right there in the mornings, weekday mornings, with the Lord. And and it was very profound for me, profound for even my own call to priesthood. So I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is just enjoy that season, you know, which is filled with, yeah, okay, you're putting Christmas tree lights on, but you're remembering that Christ is the light who is coming into the world to rescue us from the darkness of Satan. That this is the light that's coming into my heart to rescue me from the darkness of Satan. Uh, this is the light that's coming into the world that's going to inspire me and enlighten me beyond the mythologies of the culture to get me to the truth that will lead to salvation. Christ is the light that's coming into the world who's the absolute love, the unconditional love, the father of the prodigal son that he's announcing who is his own father, that this is coming, all of it in, into the world and just to receive it into our hearts. I just use this little prayer, Lord, 
I know you are there. So I, I say it to the Father. I say it to Jesus. I say it to the Holy Spirit. I say, Heavenly Father, I know you are there. Number two, I say, Lord, I know you love me. I know it. Don't ever doubt that for a moment. Even if you've you know, been in the midst of sin, don't ever doubt his love for you, his desire to get you back on track and to just embrace you as the father embraced uh, his prodigal son. And, and the third thing I just say is, Thank you for all the blessings that you have given me, the blessing of my soul, the blessing of, you know, the eternal life which your son has wrought for me, the blessing of my family. And, and, and Lord, forgive me for the sins I've committed. I resolve that I'm going to go to the sacrament of reconciliation when I can. And then just end it with, I love you too. So you just have these five little petitions to, uh, you know, Heavenly Father. And I do the same thing with uh, uh, Jesus. I say, you know, Lord Jesus, I know you're here. I know you love me. I thank you for everything that you did from the incarnation which you had to the crucifixion that you endured as a complete act of self-sacrificial love all the way uh, you know, to, to the gift of the Holy Spirit and your presence among me in the church today unifying us. I, I thank you for it all and forgive me too, dear Lord Jesus, for everything that I've done that, that, that's you know, been incommensurate with your goodness and your love. And, and, and I love you too. And then I do the same thing for the Holy Spirit. This time I, you know, with the third petition, so uh, you know, that's the thanking one. That I thank the Holy Spirit for his guidance, his inspiration, his protection. So I, I, I talk very much about, you know, the various inspirations that are happening in my life, the various guidance that's going on in my life, the protection that's going on. I thank him specifically. I again ask for forgiveness. And then I say, I love you too. I do the same thing for the Blessed Virgin Mary. But by the time I'm done, I've got a little bit more joy and hope in my life. I'd love to talk about the definition of a hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't realize, and I'll never forget when I read about this, you know, we can think about hope from two perspectives, from mm-hmm. a natural perspective, kind of, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that um, I'll win the lottery tomorrow, yeah. or even you can be hopeful about something that's bad. I can be hopeful mm-hmm. that I'm going to swindle a bunch of people and make mm-hmm. a lot of money tomorrow as well, mm-hmm. or I could be hopeful about something that is good. Mm-hmm. But there's also a supernatural level to hope, and that is the theological virtue of hope that is always oriented towards something that's good. Yeah. I mean, you've defined natural hope pretty well. A natural hope is just anticipating the fulfillment of a desire that I have, mm-hmm. whether that desire be good or evil. I mean, I, I could definitely naturally hope, uh, anticipate the fulfillment of that desire. So that's not a supernatural hope the way we speak of it as as this virtue, but a supernatural hope, that is to say a, a hope that is going to lead us to salvation, is definitely a hope in God. It's a hope in his benevolent will. It's a hope in his unconditional love. It's not all about me. It's all about the Lord leading me. And what's the hope for? eternal life with Christ Jesus, our Lord, his heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, and the whole communion of saints, which is promised to us by his coming into the world. And that supernatural hope doesn't get fulfilled in the same ways that the supernatural hope, for example, that we have for some object of desire, I hope I get a million bucks, you know, can, uh, uh, you know, be uh, fulfilled. So when we have a supernatural hope, we got to be open to God leading us. We don't know. 
how to get to our, our salvation sometimes. We're so deceived by the culture and frankly so deceived by temptation and, and the devil that we have to follow the will of Jesus into the fullness of that light by trusting in him. Even when plans don't happen the way we want, follow him, be patient, wait for the Lord, be patient. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Father Robert Spitzer is here with me from the Magis Center. We are talking about the theme of hope in the first week of Advent, whether it's Advent or not, and you're listening to this episode on the podcast. It's a great time to remind us that in a time of hopelessness, as fewer and fewer people believe in God, many people are despairing in the midst of uh, their own mental health issues, suicide is on the rise. We could use a little more hope and understand what it is. Father Spitzer, you and I, during the break on the live feed, for anyone who joins us on Instagram and Facebook, we're talking about actually one of my favorite authors in a professor, former mm-hmm. professor of yours, yeah. and you can say his name correctly for yeah. me. Josef Pieper. So uh, he's a great uh, German professor, taught at the University of Munster for many, many years, and uh, I had him actually in a course in Spain on the epistemology of uh, Aquinas and Heidegger. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful course and wonderful professor. I love his definition of hope. It always stood out to me. I remember him saying, you know, who am I, a philosopher, writing about the theological virtue of hope? But I think in his kind of natural orientation, Mm -hmm. he was able to really pinpoint a very phenomenal uh, supernatural definition of hope that for me, it becomes a little more practical in understanding it. And he defines it as the balance between two virtues, magnanimity and humility. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, magnanimity would be kind of this type of definition of aspiring toward great things, good mm-hmm. things, but also uh, becoming worthy of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, he talks about humility as putting yourself in the proper context to be tw- before God as the creator and you the creature. Mm -hmm. And so this is his definition of hope between humility and this grandeur and life is a virtue. Yeah. No, that's that's the perfect uh, Joseph Pieper. I have to say that the man uh, was very profound indeed. Uh, You know, in my simpler mind, I I have to to basically call um, a hope uh, it's the profound openness to God Mm. that lets me know my place at once as creature, yet lifted up by him into the fullness of what human beings can become. So magnanimity is the fullness of what human beings can become. It's the fullness of love. It's the fullness of aspiration. It's the fullness, the fullest use of our talents to make the optimal positive difference to the kingdom of God, to the world. Yet at the same time, we are creature. We are not God. So if, if we, you know, kind of reflect only on, on magnanimity, if we reflect only on what, um, uh, you know, the, the fullness of, of what we're called to, the fullness of our souls that we're called to through redemption in Jesus Christ, and, and we can almost think, well, wait a minute, how could the church live without me? Uh, you almost get this Messiah complex. You start be thinking, wow, how important I am. A little Pelagianism starts to sneak in, you know, how great I could be <laughs> and indeed how great I am. And the moment we're kind of into that, we're not in the divine realm anymore 
because we're completely dependent upon God, even though we're free and we aspire to good things for the church, good things for the kingdom of God, good things for the people of God, even though we aspire for good things to our family, we want to love as Jesus loved. Remember this. God is fueling all of that desire within ourselves, and he is the one who's the source of the invitation uh, to all of these things. And so we, we got to remember, the church can live without us. God could do perfectly well without us. However, he wants to use us in our freedom because he wants us to love him freely, to love others freely, and to serve others freely in that love because it will bring us to the fullness of redemption and help others to redemption for helping one another. That's the plan of God. So so we have to have that humility to know that, that God is at the center. We're at the periphery. I don't care if you've written 500 great books, you know, and and you're the smartest person on planet Earth, or you're the greatest lecturer on planet Earth, or you're the whatever on planet Earth. You just simply are on the periphery with everybody else who is equal to you in salvific status. I remember Joseph Fitzmaier, who was a very profound uh, exegete, uh, you know, New Testament exegete, it wrote uh, sort of the definitive work on on the Gospel of Luke, the letter, the Catholic commentary, and the letter to the Romans. Uh, you know, Aramaic dictionaries. A guy was so smart. You know, I could hear, I lived next door to him at Georgetown, and and I could hear his printer going at, <laughs> at literally four thirty in the morning. He was already busy doing all of his things. Well, at his fiftieth priesthood anniversary, what's the reading that he chooses for himself? He chose. We're just but worthless servants. We have only done our duty. And I just thought, oh, that's it. You know, it's just like that humility that just came to the fore and made his magnanimity into real love in Jesus Christ. That's Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Timory. A word about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technologies and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Father Robert Spitzer is here with us on Trending. I want to talk further about hope from the perspective of a lot of people have this mindset that, well, suffering is unfathomable mm-hmm. to me. Uh, they don't necessarily see hope in the midst of suffering, but they tend to take this attitude of, as I would kind of put in air quotes, embrace the suck because that's just what it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's very hopeless. Mm-hmm, yeah. No, it, it, it is. And of course, uh, it's a direct reflection of the loss of God in the culture. In order to have that uh, distinctive Christian hope that Joseph Pieper was talking about, what you really have to do is first have the resurrection perspective. What's our life all about? To get to heaven, if I might put it that way, and secondarily, to lead as many other people as we can into the heavenly kingdom. That's the purpose. I don't care who you are. The, the, you know, According to the gifts you have, the energy you have, the position you have, the education you have, that's your job. 
to get to heaven and to lead other people to heaven, your family members, of course, right in the uh, order of priority, et cetera. Now, the, the, the main thing is, if that's your priority, you've got to know how God does this, his ways. And he absolutely levers suffering for a whole lot of things. Suffering can shock us, truly shock us out of superficiality and even a destructive uh, way of life. I mean, can you imagine old St. Paul? He's on his way into darkness, and uh, boom, he's just knocked off his horse. And the next thing you know, uh, who are you, sir? I'm Jesus, and you're persecuting me. Got it. Paul already, but he's suffering, he's blind, etc. He, he, he knows. And, and of course, uh, I know what it's like to be blind. So I've gone blind in the last four years, and I know. You know, it's, it's, but it's a very, very chastening in the good sense that it leads me into the light of Christ. As Paul himself says, for in my weakness is my strength. When I grow weaker, Christ grows stronger in me. And that enables me to help other people into salvation and most especially to get uh, uh, to work with Christ to, to move into his heavenly kingdom. So that's where, um, you know, suffering is. But that's just one purpose of suffering to shock us out of superficial, to so- shock us out of. Well, a dark way of life, even a sinful way of life. A second uh, point of of suffering is that it really helps us to grow in faith. When we're vulnerable, St. Paul says, Christ can enter into us and grow stronger in us. Tell me a person who is deeply, deeply ingrained in their faith. I'll tell you a person who has suffered well, has levered that suffering through their faith. Remember, it's suffering plus faith is going to lead to greater faith. Suffering plus faith is going to lead to salvation. If you don't have any faith at all when you're suffering, yiko, you know, that, that suffering's going to turn you inward. It's going to embitter you. But if you do have faith, then I'm telling you, you can grow ever more deeply in that faith by f- being patient, waiting for the Lord, doing it his way. Avoid the Spitzerian prayer when you're suffering. Dear Lord, I'm suffering now. I took the opportunity to prepare a list of instructions for you to tell me how to (laughs) to get out of my suffering. It's got 12 steps. I think you can accommodate. And, you know, since I'm doing this, I I took the liberty of preparing a timetable for you. And and here it is. And and I think you'll notice my wisdom. Uh, Please follow instructions. I'll be happy. If you do that, you're likely not to go anywhere because our wisdom is minuscule compared to God's omniscient wisdom for us personally and how we touch the lives of others. There's so many other opportunities in suffering. I'll develop compassion, to develop empathy, to develop humility, all of which, when they're put together, can lead us right into the kingdom of God and make us disciples to do likewise for others. What you're saying, Father Spitzer, directs us immediately into the Catholic idea that's so hard for people to understand of offering things up mm-hmm. and the tiniest things to the greatest suffering. And I, we read about some of the saints. I think it was mm-hmm. St. Therese of Lisieux who talked about how, you know, just uh, there was this one nun who really aggravated her. And so she'd kind of try to pick up the <laughs> trash that might be left behind yeah. and how she'd offer up that mm-hmm. act for mm-hmm. someone else. Can you talk about uh, how that's mm-hmm. beneficial, not just for us, but our spiritual life? and. Oh. 
purgatory yeah. time so much. And for the lives of the people for, for whom we offer it, the, the suffering. Absolutely. I mean, I think offering it up is, is the best thing. It begins, of course, with, with Jesus. My mom used to tell me this all the time. I'd come home complaining about some person at school. She'd go, just offer it up. You know? go, <laughs> it's oh, annoying. It almost, really, truly. So, uh, you know, uh, at one point, you know, I, I began to discover when I was in theology just how important this is that when Jesus was on the cross, when he was saying Psalm 22, Psalm 22, that's the first line of the psalm, mm-hmm. which represents the whole psalm. This is not a psalm of despair. This is a psalm of hope. And as you read through the whole psalm, you'll see there's nothing in it. The first line is, why, why have you abandoned me? And then the rest of it is, but I hope in you, dear Lord. And I know you will, you will uh, you know, uh, uh, raise your servant up in, in, into the resurrection and you'll redeem others through my suffering. But I can talk a lot more about Jesus and, and uh, offering up suffering uh, in our next segment. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center is here with me to talk about hope in this first week of Advent. Even if it's not the first week of Advent for you, you're listening on the podcast, we need to talk about hope. Coming up, we'll be discussing kind of overcoming this empty idea of optimistic hopefulness and the correct attitude that you and I can take on to better um, prepare ourselves to receive that theological virtue of hope. First, though, we live in a time where the idea of love and sacrifice Mm -hmm. do not go hand in hand Mm -hmm. for many people. And I think this is part of the problem why we aren't so hopeful is because we don't understand the idea of offering things up and suffering for a greater good. Can you talk to this point? Oh, yeah. Love, of course, you know, first of all, requires humility. I don't know any humble people who haven't suffered, to be very honest with you. Suffering is a channel to humility, humility a channel to love. The the second thing that's really important is that self-sacrifice, as Jesus does, on the cross, right? Jesus uh, sacrifices himself on the cross. Therese of Lisieux, uh, you know, know, took all of her sacrifices and offered them up for even criminals, etc. So the point is that uh, self-sacrifice, right, there is no greater love than a man can have than to give his life for his friends, right, John 15. And so the the idea is is that the greatest love we can have is to give of ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves for our friends. Now, sometimes we can do that in an explicit way, but Jesus teaches us we can also do it in an implicit way. So when a parent gets out in front of her child and, and makes a great sacrifice to help the child to, to overcome some suffering, you say, well, that's a very explicit manifestation. But what about the implicit manifestation, the interior manifestation, where Jesus actually says on the cross, you know, Father, I give this all to you for them, where Jesus is says in the Holy Eucharist, so that sins may be forgiven. I'm giving this all so that sins may be forgiven. What Jesus is saying is even that kind of sacrifice, which is not direct, that kind of sacrifice can actually lead also. It can be offered up for your relatives, for your friends, or for just 
people who are in most need of God's help, who are caught up in darkness, caught up in themselves, can even be offered up for your own intentions. So remember uh, that um, every form of self-sacrifice is love when it is freely offered up for the good of somebody else. So we transform suffering, we transform it into sacrifice for somebody else by offering it up to God for them. And when we do that, we transform it into love. And God takes that grace of love and gives it to everyone who's in need, everyone that we're, we're mentioning in our prayers. And it's a very beautiful thing, and we should never forget it. Suffering and love are integral. I mean, I just don't know anyone who's gotten away from their egos without suffering, to humility without suffering, who's learned empathy and compassion on a deepened level without suffering. I mean, suffering is the vital instrument. When it is in the context of faith, suffering is the vital instrument to get to the purification of love which ultimately leads to the kingdom of God. If we don't do it in this life, we're probably going to wind up doing it in purgatory. My challenge to you who may be listening is, are you too distracted to be aware of the opportunities to suffer, to offer something up? And we're not just talking about the bad suffering that we can offer up. We can talk about at the beginning of our day, we can offer our day for someone. It will completely transform the way you live your day in in terms of a sacrificial way. Father mm-hmm. Spitzer, I want to talk about having a childlike, um, we talk about a childlike faith, but we don't talk about a childlike hopefulness, that we mm-hmm. kind of allow for that dependence on God the Father so that he can truly fill us with the grace and the virtue, the theological virtue of hope. Yeah, I, it is so important to have that childlike heart. But the most important thing is to know how God leads you through the suffering to your love and salvation and helps you to help others to their salvation. So the first thing is we got to get over our adult thought that we're in complete control of our lives. Yes, we're in control of our lives. Yes, we set goals for ourselves. Yes, we want we have a list of things we got to do during the day. Yes, we want to be efficacious in our actions. You know, all these things are part of good, you know, self-control. Uh, but and rational self-control. And that that's really wonderful. But at the end of the day, we have to know we are not in complete control. I mean, when when I get into a real challenging situation, I sit there in my room and I reflect on a rational plan of how am I going to get out of this? Who am I going to use to help me to get out of this? What are the backup plans if things fail? How can I bring some good out of that? And now making a good rational plan, that's a fantastic thing. But at the end of this prayer, I basically tell the Lord, Lord Jesus, I place my trust in you. My rational plans will come to nothing. Indeed, I can't even abandon my rational plans without you. I just ask you to take over. Lead me in ways where I cannot lead myself. Help me in ways where I cannot help myself. Use the vision that you have of the future and, and what, you know, what I really need, not what I think I really need, to, to, to move me beyond myself. Dear Lord Jesus, I place my trust in you with the heart of a child. I place my trust in you. I give up, Lord. You take care of it. Here are my rational plans. I offer them to you. But at the end of the day, I just want to follow you. Lead me. 
This is living in the midst of God's providence. We don't Mm -hmm. talk a lot about providence, but it's a living providentially. And I think a lot of the time we don't have that perspective that, you know, whatever may happen, good or bad, that's the providence of God working in my life. Mm -hmm. That's right. And and, uh, uh, that's why, you know, that little prayer that I suggested, the contemplative prayer, that first part of that prayer is always, Lord, I know you are here. That is so important. <clears throat> you think, well, I already know that. No, say it. Say it to God. Because when you say it to God, you are like plugging in. You are connecting with the Lord. Lord, I know you are here, and I know you love me. Then we are living in providence right now. And so you can take, you don't have to go through the whole prayer of thanking the Lord for uh, things, uh, asking for forgiveness. Do that in your formal prayer time and say, but just take the three elements. Lord, I know you're here. I know you love me. I love you too. You can say that like instantly during the day. It just bingo, bango. It just gets you right into, uh, you know, a providential way of living, that you're swimming in a sea of God who is present, God who is omnipotent, God who is all-knowing. He's leading us. We don't know where he's leading us. We have some thoughts about where he should be leading us. I just put them all aside and just say, lead me. But those are the three prayers. Let me repeat them. Just, Mm -hmm. Lord, I know you're here. Lord, I know you love me. Lord, I love you too. That's good enough. And I'm telling you, automatically you're back in Providence. I want to bring this full circle from where we started, because if you're listening, you're hearing, here's where I can be. This is where I can live my life. It's full of hope. Mm -hmm. It's full of joy. It truly is optimistic. Yet, Mm -hmm. why are we settling for less? You talked at the beginning of the show about this ego comparativism Mm -hmm. and how, you know, that's essentially a false sense of optimism, that we're kind of optimistic Mm -hmm. just about what me, myself, and I can do at the center of my world and solving the world's problems. How can we overcome it? Kind of your last step in jumping over that threshold to live providentially and with joy Mm -hmm. as we're called to in this preparation for Christ's coming. Well, I can speak for myself. Uh, Getting back to the theme of suffering again, uh, it was suffering that enabled me to get back to that providential thing because, you know, I, I would have this optimism about what level two Bob could do. But unfortunately, things didn't always go right. As my eyesight began to diminish or as, uh, you know, some big problem began to develop or something of that nature, you know, all I can tell you is I'm thinking, hey, Lord, you're not following me here. (laughs) You know, uh, Lord, I've asked for these four things. Uh, Where's the cooperation Did you ask or did you tell him? I told him. I mean, I definitely was telling. And, uh, you know, so, of course, once that happened, I thought, hmm. You know, maybe you're not um, going to f- do this because maybe it wouldn't be good for me, my salvation, or to help others to salvation. So maybe, what are you trying to tell me, Lord? Where are you leading me? And that is the critical question to jumping. Lord, where are you leading me? And when you start asking that question, the Lord's not going to put it, you know, go, Bob, here's where I'm leading you. But he will put a thought in the back of your mind, and he'll go, hey, Bob. Uh, just silently, ever so hintingly, uh, you got to deal with A, and you got to deal with B, and you got to deal with C. But what I want you to do also is just trust me that I'm going to guide you through this. Don't get impatient. I'm going to help you through to the end of this uh, this deal. So once that happens, 
uh, you make a transition. All of a sudden, you're not going to break free from your own plans and what I would call the naive optimism, I want, God will give me. But you will make a partial break from it, and you're going to start letting in his perspective, his way, what he wants before purgatory, always a good thought. But the, the thought is, is you're going to let him in, and when that happens, you're going to see you have a whole different perspective on not only a living, but how to use suffering, but hope is going to come into your life. You're going to be filled beyond emptiness with the providence of God who's going to love you. That's Father Robert Spitzer here on Trending with Timory. If you want to learn more about Father Robert Spitzer, you can find more at some of his organizations, one of which being the Magis Center of Reason and Faith at magiscenter.org. That's M-A-G-I-S center.com. Yes, thank you. And then also, he has also been the founder of the Napa Institute as well, if I'm correct. Co-founder of the Napa Institute with Tim Bush. Yeah, Yeah, so you can learn more about the Napa Institute, an incredible program that happens a few times now through the year, both in California and Washington, D.C., by going to napa-institute.org. If you'd like to hear more episodes with Father Robert Spitzer, you can head over to radiotrending.com, head to the guest page, and you can find him and many of our other guests to enjoy and share this episode. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 